our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Everybody and welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Amazing Avenue's minor league podcast. I'm Steve Saipa. I'm back, and I'm joined with Lucas and Kenny this week. How are you guys doing? All right. How are you? Pretty good. good. Yeah. I feel like this is like the first time in like a month that all three of us have been back together finally. Yeah. It's been a minute. Yep, yep. All right. Well, let's try to get back into the old swing of things with Promote Extend Trade. And I was looking up a bunch of, trying to figure out a bunch of things, and apparently Windows 95 was released at, on on this date, 24 years ago today. I'm sure neither you neither one of you guys like remember Windows 3.1, do you? No. Probably not. No. Yeah. Well, I have like vague memories of it as a kid, but Windows 95 is like the Windows. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably the first one I remember. And, like, playing, like, Age of Empires on Windows 95, I think. Hell yeah. That might have been the first thing I ever did on a computer a long time ago. Well, one of the, like, the rev- the biggest revolutionary, well, not maybe the biggest, but maybe it's a casuals. One of the biggest, like, revolutionary features of Windows 95 was the start button, which Windows before that didn't have. You know, you just click the start button, it lets you navigate all your programs, all your files, very easy. So, in honor of the start button, who are we going to promote, extend, or trade? 
between Dylan Cease, Kevin Apier, or Carlos Gomez, a.k.a. Gogo. Huh. So we have a young up-and-comer, a kind of established veteran, and an old-time kind of pretty solid player. Uh, hmm. I don't know what to do with Gomez because I have so many mixed feelings about Carlos Gomez. I know when he was when he was good, he was really good, but when he's bad, he's also really bad. There's also a lot of history there with the Mets. He's never good for the Mets, and you had the whole Brewers trade thing, and blah 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 blah. Hmm. There's a dynamic there. I think I'd promote him, extend, cease, and then uh, trade the other dude. You could get a lot of value from Appier. He's a couple of all-star games under his belt. It's true. Nah, I mean, Gomez is just, like, such a a weird dude, too, that he's probably just more fun. I don't know, weird is the right... He's, like, funny. He does seem like a good, like, clubhouse guy. I could definitely see how people would like him. Mm-hmm. The Kiwi quote is enough for me to want to promote him, so. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's what Rich people lead. <laughs> yes, I think I agree with Lucas. Yeah, I went the same way, too, because, again, um, you know, you can get some good value from Apier trading him. Gomez, he just seems like a nice guy to have around, and Cease, obviously, he hopefully has a future. So, well, thanks a lot, Start Button, for that riveting uh, <laughs> segment. <laughs> All right, well, uh, the Syracuse Mets this week, they had a perfect week. They're actually, they have a nine-game winning streak now going, and they're 68-61. and 61. But despite that, they're still a game and a half behind the Scranton Wilkesbury Railriders for first in the International League North. And since the season is winding down now, they have a magic elimination number of 10. So these next couple of weeks are going to be uh, pretty important baseball for them in, the, in their inaugural season. I, I in, assume that uh, Devi is pitching for uh, Wilkesbury at this point, right? Probably. Yeah, so he's probably better than any player on the on the Syracuse <laughs> team right now. Yeah, that the fact that they have that win streak going right now is kind of amazing when you think about it, given mm-hmm. all of the call ups that the Mets have, you know, taken from them. And the total lack of real prospects there in the first place. Yeah, yeah. There's lots of veteran presence on the roster though. Hey, they're getting it done. <laughs> Uh, the Binghamton Rumble Ponies, they went 1-5 and five this week, and that puts them at 26-39 and 39 in the second half. That's dead last in the Eastern League Eastern Division, and obviously they've been eliminated from playoff contention long, long ago. The St. Lucie Mets, they didn't win a single game this week. They're 0-5. Oof. But that drops them to 35-27 and 27 in the second half. So they were they were... Cruising along there, that's mm-hmm. good enough for second place in the Florida State League South. But despite having a pretty good record, they've been mathematically eliminated from playoff contention. Columbia Fireflies, they went two and three, and that puts them at 27 and 33 in the second half. 
and that's seven games behind the Asheville Tourists in the South Atlantic League Southern Division. But somehow they're still alive. They have magic number of four. They're on life support, but technically Columbia could clinch a playoff spot. Crazy. But who knows? That'd be a pretty funny way for that this season to end. <laughs> yes, it would. That team, given the underperformance of, like, everybody, yeah. would be nice. Uh, the Brooklyn Cyclones, they are four, they went four and one this week, and that gives them a record of 37 and 28. But they are one game behind the Hudson Valley Renegades, and they're tied with the Aberdeen Ironbirds for second. And just like Syracuse, they have a magic number of 10. So again, there's going to be some exciting baseball in the New York Penn League in the next week or so. Kingsport Mets, they went three and three, and they are 21 and they're, excuse me, 31. In 32 for the year. And that puts them two games behind the Johnson City Cardinals in the Appalachian League West. But they are in the playoff hunt. And their magic number is five. And finally, the GCL Mets. They are 27 and 23 on the year. And they're having a good year. Our player of the week now is, uh, excuse me, our pitcher of the week is Corey Oswalt. And Let's just talk about Oswald for a second here. The Mets are calling up and giving important innings to the likes of Drew Gagno. They're giving important innings to the likes of Chris Mazza. And Oswald has had a pretty good season in Syracuse. Uh, he has a 2.85 ERA and 75.2 innings. And consider that, you know, everything that's going on in the International League this year with the ball, a, a 2.85 ERA would be good with just kind of a regular ball. Mm. When you consider that it's with this, you know, crazy juiced ball now, that makes it look even better. I could understand, I guess, not really wanting to tinker too much with the Syracuse rotation, given their playoff race and everything like that. But at the same time, like, you know, the minor leagues exist as a feeder for the major league team. And the Mets themselves are in playoff contention. I believe that they're a fringe playoff team is the term. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> and, you know, a, a guy like Oswald, you know, he's not going to be a difference maker necessarily. But, you know, he has the ability to be durable in theory. Uh, you know, out of long relief, which the Mets don't exactly have. He could be an emergency spot starter if, God forbid, you know, one of the Mets' pitchers goes down. He's a guy that could have value to the club. And I don't know, seeing them call up guys that are probably inferior to him is, is a bit weird. But then again, this is the same team that has had Aaron Arthur on the team for God knows how long. Yeah, I don't understand their... <laughs> <laughs> Why are they obsessed with Walker or Lockett when uh he's one of the Bakota guys. <sighs> I don't get it. I don't get it either. Like I do understand I, I I I say this as one of the more model favorably person what was that sentence? Good lord, I'm tired. Mo- model uh one of the people that's more willing to accept math within the Slack as opposed mm. to scouting information, but I really just don't understand what even Pakoda sees in Lockett. Like the minor league stats aren't good, so what is it? What is it going off of? Dude, it's just like um, 
a lot of noise baked in um, from like his Pacific Coast League performance last year. Is it just that? Is it just that I think, he I think it's just he wasn't a disaster fire? in you know probably the best offensive environment in baseball. You know, I, I honestly that's the only explanation I can think of. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. I mean, it's just the model correcting way too hard for something then. Like, the, I wonder what that model thought of Wilmer Flores or uh, a guy like Wilmer Flores doing in the – I don't know. I don't know. PCL just screws everything up, so. Um, I wish that Pakoda – league really, has been much better. It'd be nice if Pakoda, like – and I don't know if, like, this is an internal function it has that it could spit out because uh, typically when you're, when you're building a model like this, you can have – Every feature is going to be assigned some sort of weight, so it'd be nice if, along with the projection, you could get the weights assigned to every every level, right? Like, so this had an importance of whatever percent for the final outcome we're projecting here. And if you see that it's literally fifty percent him not being a disaster in the PCL, <laughs> maybe reevaluate. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and say that <laughs> if you're sophisticated enough to use a model like that, you should know <laughs> where that model's shortcomings are. Yeah, that too. Um, <laughs> you know? Should be able to tell that, hey, maybe this isn't the most reliable. <laughs> and, the, and the fact that they keep going back to the, anyway, we, we've yeah. really gone off track here. I'd be fine with seeing Corey Oswalt instead of Walker Lockett <laughs> next time they need a sixth starter. Yeah. Yep. Not a major difference, but um you know, sometimes a run or two is the difference in a game. Absolutely. Would it help last night? Yeah. Well, a lot of things would have helped last night. Mm. All right. Well, our hitter of the week now is Andres Renault, who plays for the Kingsport Mets. He is uh he has a twelve game hitting streak going, which is pretty impressive. And in the month of uh August, he has hit safely in fifteen of seventeen games that he's played. And for the year he's currently hitting two seventy eight, three thirty six, three ninety seven. Um I'm gonna kinda keep it short on him because we will talk a lot more in depth about the Kingsport Mets in a few moments. But, uh, yeah, he's having a, a pretty good season. And coming into the year, I think there was not reason to doubt him as a player. But, you know, he was in the DSL for a couple of years in a row. He's a little bit older. Obviously, you know, not having first-hand information from the DSL, we didn't know too much about him besides for just, you know, the stat line. And it was easy to come to a conclusion that, you know, oh, he's just uh, an older player beating up on, you know, kids, you know, teenagers, you know, uh, younger than him. But, you know, he, and, and again, it's not like Kingsport is a huge jump up from the DSL teams. You know, it, it is a bit, obviously. And the case can certainly be made that he's still just kind of an older guy. He's, he's 20, um, you know, beating up on players that are can be younger than him or less experienced than him or whatever but I mean he's all in all he's having a good season and uh, I don't necessarily think that he has like a, a prospect stat you know top top 25 
prospect status right now or anything like that, but uh, he's definitely uh, a name to know, you know, a guy to, uh, guy to follow. I don't have any real thoughts on – it's weird that he's only 20 because it feels like I've been including his name in farm reports for years. <laughs> but I guess when you're doing two of them a week, these names just kind of all blend together. Yep. Until literally a season goes by and then just everything gets uh, dumped in the tank. And then as we always have at the end of our podcast with, oh, yeah, that guy, the realization of like, wow, I've, I've spent years of my life <laughs> – covering this dude and like i don't even remember it yep that's why it's always weird to do yours because you usually dip back to like the early 2000s or late 90s i'm like who excuse me i try to pick the obscure ones yeah yeah or at least the interesting ones anyway to quote a friend of the the podcast whomst whomst (laughs) (laughs) all right well those were uh those are our players of the week, Corey Oswald and Andres Renault. And we will be back after this. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody. Um, welcome back. I'm Steve Saipa. I'm joined by Lucas Vlahos and Cam Lavin. And this week, we're going to do a deep delve into the Kingsport Mets. Uh, I was gone from the last two shows because I went down to Tennessee and Virginia, Kingsport and Pulaski, respectively, to get some live first-hand looks at the Kingsport Mets. I spent a couple of days in Kingsport. Uh, there was a, a three-game series against the Danville Braves at Hunter Wright Stadium. And then I went over with the team to Pulaski for a three-game series there against the Pulaski Yankees at Calfee Field. And before we get into the, the team itself, I just want to get into a little tangent here. But not to diss Kingsport, but Calfee Field is so much nicer than <laughs> Hunter Wright Stadium. Uh, they are voted the best rookie-level stadium of the year this year, and really it, it's like heads, or shoulder, heads and shoulders above Hunter Wright uh, it's a nicer location. Hunter Wright Stadium is basically just like on a plot of land in downtown Kingsport. There's like some trees in the outfield, and then on the other side, there's like Lowe's. <laughs> so it's not exactly picturesque or anything. And, and there's a Sonic there, and I've never had Sonics, so that was pretty cool. <laughs> and I liked it, so that's points for uh, Kingsport, I guess. But taking those points away is that literally on the first day, uh, or the first night, I should say, that I was leaving the game there's a lot of police activity in the lows and apparently someone i guess was drunk driving and they plowed right into the uh garden department so oh yeah nice i guess that's what oh, you do. middle america yeah i guess that's what you do in uh kingsport tennessee um and one of the the main streets right next to it it goes up into like mountains and it has like a nice overlook and then the stadiums themselves, Calfee's like actually on the National Register of Historic Places. Um, like the opening gate 
was it, it was built in like 1905 or 1935, something like that. So it's just nice. The stadium itself is concrete, whereas Hunter Wright Stadium is basically just kind of like metal bleachers all around the the field. Calfi has a modern scoreboard with like video and and replay and everything. Um, pitch velocity, Hunter Wright doesn't. The facilities at Calfi are just much more modern. The food options are better. And it's actually funny because when I went to Columbia, and I, I named the episode where we talked about that, I went to Columbia and all I got is this stupid shirt. And I didn't actually get any shirt, by the way. But on the last Saturday that I was down there in Pulaski, they had a free t-shirt night. And it's a really sweet shirt, I think. It's white. And I don't like white, but, you know, whatever. Um, but are you it, not a fan of the players' weekend jerseys, Steve? Oh God, those are so bad. It was like a freaking cricket uniform. <laughs> My favorite part is like you can't see any of the numbers I, I, or names, yeah. really. <laughs> but my my white T-shirt that I got for free—it's not plastered with like sponsors all over it. It's just mm-hmm. you know you could wear it out and not have like a giant Budweiser thing on your back. It just. You know, an outline of Napple with the Kingsport Mets and the Pulaski Yankee logos. And it says, Big Appalachian Rivalry. It's a good pun. It's rich, worthy. And it's just a sweet shirt. And overall, the Yankees invested money in the stadium when they took over it from the Mariners. And uh, it shows. I was going to say, I'm shocked. Shocked yeah. to find that the Yankees have invested more money in their affiliates than the Mets. Mm-hmm. Hunter Wright. Um, the Mets have not really invested much in it, but there is some back and forth between the city and uh, a real estate kind of developer to kind of build a new sports center, entertainment area, district, whatever, in, in downtown Kingsport. So maybe their their facilities will get upgraded in the in the future. And interestingly enough, you know who's handling that uh, real estate deal? Between, is it uh, one uh, one Sterling Mets Incorporated? It is Sterling Equities. Go figure, <laughs> shocker. huh? Shocker, shocker, shocker. <laughs> All right, well, enough shitting on the Kingsport Mets, I guess. <laughs> um, so I got to see pretty much every player on the roster. Um, all in all, there were no. Major surprises, no big surprises or anything like that. The players that we know that they're good, they were good. And maybe two or three guys that surprised me in a, in a good way. You know, guys that were basically not on the radar going down, but I think they might be now. And we'll talk about them later, but let's start with like the meat and potatoes, the big names. So who do you guys want to talk about first? Oh. Ken, you should go first because we all know who you want to talk about. <laughs> um, yeah, okay, we'll go with the obvious one. Uh, how'd my boy Frankie look? Uh, he looked, he looked really good. Um, <laughs> you should be, you should be proud. <laughs> um, basically, hold on, let me open this here. All right, so. He is very short, as you know. It's kind of weird to see a guy like that. Not that he's like Louis Santana short, 
but like he's I think five ten or five eleven. Yeah, he's he's like Cespedes thick though, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, it's where like, he's a short man, but he's just like wide. <laughs> yep, he's uh he's a bit thick. But there is, you know, maybe just me, and I'm not really that great necessarily at kind of judging this. But I do think that there is a little bit of room for him to put on some muscle, and not like bad muscle, like you know. Well, not bad muscle, not weight, but good muscle, and that should help with his power. And he has a, a you know, decent amount of power right now. He has kind of a, a short, compact swing, but I, I think he has plus bat speed, and that's kind of what lets him hit the ball with a lot of authority. And then if he grows a little bit, if he adds on a little bit of muscle, he can add to that, and that would be really uh, good for bodes good things for his future if he does that. Um, he could really work the count. You know, he's a good eye. Obviously, as a catcher, you'd think that they would have a, a better judgment of the strike zone than other position players. But he he is a good eye. He can you know really work the count. And then defensively, I think we the biggest questions were about his defense. And he looks you know catcher defense is a is a really hard thing to judge, obviously. But to my not very well trained eye. Uh, you know, he he definitely moves well behind the plate. Having seen him compared to the two other catchers that are on the roster, he moves much better than them. Uh, he seems to call a good game. You know, frames pitches well, those kinds of things. And his arm is very very strong, very accurate. Uh, you know, he, he pops up real quick, throws the ball real quick. And overall, I think that the, the not biggest takeaway. But a good takeaway also is that he definitely seems like a leader. Like a lot of the players, you know, kind of uh, would would go over to him. And I think that also, and I guess this counts as like intangibles, but he really is just a, a tough as nails kid. He got the f- either the first game that I was there or the second. Uh, Brett Beatty hit a foul ball into the into the uh, on-deck circle, and it hit him, like, in the knee or the shin or the ankle, whatever, and he went down, and he got back up, you know, after after a minute or two. He took his schedule that bat, and he hit a double, and then he came around to score. And then literally the next day, he hit a foul ball off that exact same spot, and he went down again, crumpled over, and, you know, a minute he got up, and I don't remember the conclusion of that at bat, but the fact that, you know, he probably is already pretty bruised to begin with. But, you know, he, he toughed it out, and whatever happened, happened. But that that's good for a catcher to be able to take a punt, take a beating. And uh, he's, you know, was, I think we had him as 24 on our list this year. Uh, he's definitely leaping way, way, way higher. Arguably, you could make a case for him being in the top five. You know, when the dust settles and, and everybody's seasons are done and, and we start looking over these things. But you, you could make a case, I think. That's about where I, I think he's going to be on my list. Yeah. Uh, depending on, you know, how the rest of things shake out and stuff. And doing the and let's say that you did, whoever did rank him as like a top five guy. It wouldn't, I don't think that's like crazy, crazy aggressive. You know? At the end of the day, he's performed... Uh, in a league that he's literally the youngest player in mm-hmm. and performed, you know, like he's, he's cooled off a bit, but it's also his first, you know, 
stateside season and he's a catcher and catchers are weird. Really nothing but like successful things this season. So I guess that's also a little indicative of the Mets farm system right now that you have yeah, a true. rookie ball catcher as possibly being one of your top five prospects, but but also the he does have the he does bring you know the the stuff to the game. Like if you look at who the youngest player in the Appy last year was, it was you know consensus top <laughs> top prospect in baseball, Wander Franco. Mm-hmm. That that's a pretty good you know. Yep. If you have if you're going to be the successor for somebody, <laughs> um, you know, being in a sentence with him is is a good thing, even if it's not necessarily all that meaningful. You know, exactly, exactly. All right. <laughs> Nothing but good about Alvarez. All right. Well, let me, uh, someone who perhaps there's not quite as much good about, let me ask about Junior Santos. He also is, uh, he also impressed me. I mean, we oh, knew great. that, we knew that, you know, the reports were that he could really bring it. But at the same time, you know, we've heard reports that, proved to be less than accurate but um his fastball was consistently 90 to 97 it sat about 94 95 for a majority of the game and you know so he he topped out at 97 on my gun the the kingsport players that were sitting next to me that were charting it they were consistently about two miles per hour higher they were also more center i was maybe a seat or three to the to the right whereas they were dead center so maybe my gun was getting slightly thrown off whereas theirs was more accurate but if they were the more accurate ones then that meant that he was touching 19.9 which is a lot better (laughs) and it had a bit it had a bit of glove side movement um it wasn't you know it wasn't Eric Garçon Batista 99 and then uh he had a, a, what seemed to be two distinct pitches, a slider and a curveball. Maybe they were just kind of one slurvy breaking ball that kind of was better or worse at times. But um, he's able to basically throw to the entire strike zone. He particularly liked working down and away to batters, um, but that could all just be Alvarez, you know, knowing his strengths and weaknesses or whatever and calling for that more often. He had a little bit of control problems at time, but, um, you know, more or less the ball went where he wanted it. And he is a really, really tall dude. Um, he's, the, the, I took a picture, uh, basically like his, I mean, obviously ball players all have large, you know, hands and whatnot. Part of being able to be a good pitcher is to kind of like cup the ball and, and cover it. But his hand, like the ball, it looked like, a golf ball to a regular sized person's <laughs> hands. Him holding the baseball looked like a golf ball. Like he could just cover the whole thing. And uh mechanically he seems pretty good. It's just very simple delivery. Um he short arms it a little bit, but nothing that's that seems to really have any major red flags or control concerns or anything like that. It's relatively easy, right? Yeah, no, very, very. Um, no crazy hitches or anything like that. And obviously, since he's so tall, he's six foot eight. He has that kind of Chris Young, whatever effect that he just creates a lot more extension because he's, you know, 
he doesn't stride very, very far. I mean, maybe if they could work with him on that a little bit, I don't know if it would help his control, but I mean, it might help, you know, fastball, uh, the perception of the ball coming to batters. He's got such long legs, though. I I would assume that he gets a little bit better extension than most guys. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's a good, uh, he, he's a good, Solid base to work with. I mean, anytime you're you're touching 97, possibly 99, whatever, that's a really great starting point. I'm I'm a little surprised to hear because just just from looking at the stats, why he doesn't seem like he's striking a lot of guys out. He's walking a ton of dudes, and he's also giving up a lot of hits. So it's not as if he's so wild that guys are just waiting and not swinging, and that's why he's walking a lot. Uh, I do think that the organization is babying him a bit because I want to, I don't have the numbers in front of me here. I probably should, but I think like he's averaging like three or four innings to start, which is, yeah, less than three. Yeah. So, I mean, that seems to be like a workload kind of thing and they're just letting him. He turned 18, what, like eight days ago? (laughs) Yeah, he just turned 18. Yeah. Uh, I think like August 15th or something. Hmm. I mean, yeah, I don't want to scout the scout. I don't want to scout the stat line here. It's just a little odd that, uh, if the stuff is, is as that good, the, the results are. Uh, it's not that the stuff is that great because it kind of wasn't. Like I said, like the, the breaking ball, sometimes it, it could have been two distinct pitches. I personally think it was because there was a decent amount of, Velocity differential, uh, the pitch that I thought was a curveball was like 78, 79, whereas the pitch that I thought was a slider was like 82, 83. So, I mean, may, and it had more, you know, the, the curveball had more like distinct, you know, up and down break. But like that, it, it might be that it's just kind of a developing breaking ball and it doesn't really have a true form yet. Mm. You know, he he really is very raw in the sense that we're excited because he has a lot of potential because his fastball is so fast and he's so young. He's a big guy. He doesn't have major, you know, uh, control issues or anything like that, mechanically speaking. So it's not so much that he's just dominating like a guy like Woods. Um, was Woods Richardson dominating? He was kind of. Mm. Um, but... It's not a sense like that, not a case like that where he's just putting up like crazy good numbers and you can't help but no notice. Santos, it's more of the package looks really good and it's just a matter of time, hopefully before then he starts finally putting up the really good numbers. Sounds to yeah, it sounds to me like he's kind of like a like a good pitcher starter set, you know. Yeah, yep, yep. Very raw, um, but. Hopefully, given time, a lot more stuff will fill in, you know? Mm-hmm. I could believe that. I mean, I imagine I'll probably be the low guy on him coming, going into the list next season, but uh, hopefully I'm very wrong. Uh, I think I also have to ask about uh, La Tortuga Jr. Yeah, I, unfortunately, I think he only played in, like, one game that I saw. And had like one or two at bats, so I don't really have much to say on him, much to my disappointment. Um, 
he's he's obviously a very thick uh kid but he didn't he didn't really seem to have too much power like which is a little disappointing not that power runs in the family or anything like that <laughs> but um would have liked to have seen him hit the ball with a little bit more authority and he didn't really hit the ball you know i, I think what is it let me see here i think he had a fly out to like right field and then two ground outs you know so unfortunately not much to report on him i'm sad i, I mean know, i I'm guess sorry. he's like missing out on all the catcher time because alvarez is there which is probably smart it it was a weird situation especially having now seen renault and you know having a better understanding of him um it was a bit odd seeing how they they had three catchers, all of whom were kind of guys to just kind of like we were saying, guys to follow, guys to know. I mean, it's kind of a, a hard position to kind of have a a share time, you know, a time sharing thing with. I'm I'm honestly surprised one of them hasn't gotten moved out to to like Brooklyn. Yeah, that's it's just, just because Brooklyn doesn't really have a catcher, um, you know, with any degree of like prospect pedigree. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I would I would have imagined that one of the three would end up there at some point, but you know, here we are with like a week left. Yeah, and, if and if it was happening, probably last probably, week or so would have been. Yeah, probably would be happening. It would have either happened by now or would be happening like tomorrow. So, so expect at the end of the podcast to get a ping. <laughs> Uh, who else is important on this uh, roster? Should, should we talk a little, a little batty? Yeah, sure. Well, he is, um, he's a, he's a strong kid. Uh, very solid, thick, muscular body. He's probably not gonna like grow in and fill out anymore. So what we have now is probably what he's gonna be, but, um, he could really hit the ball hard. <laughs> hmm. Um, it's a long swing and has a lot of plane. So when he makes good, you know, when he connects with it, the, the ball goes, uh, the ball goes far. Um, his he could really turn on a fastball, and he does have a decent amount of opposite field power when he makes contact. But being, you know, fresh out of high school, even though he is a bit older, his baseball experience is still kind of limited. And when he was playing in high school and everything and travel teams, whatever it was, he was kind of the older kid being up on younger kids. So that doesn't make him bad, but, you know, he's not exposed as much as, let's say, another 19-year-old to, you know, better breaking balls and better strategies and defensive orientations and, and fastballs and whatever else. So they're having him um, work on hitting to the opposite field. The first couple of days before, I just saw like a random quote in one of the Kingsport Mets articles online. But before I saw that, I was getting pretty worried because he was swinging through like 89, 90, 91 Mario fastballs and just kind of not looking good and just taking a lot of very defensive, you know, quick hacks, whatever. And I got a bit concerned, especially having seen Mark Vientos early in the year really struggle. But then having read that they're working on having him hit to the opposite field, it made me feel better because obviously if you're 
trying to go opposite field, you need to wait, you know, another fraction of a second to swing. And that would make sense why he's, you know, slow on fastballs that are just kind of scraping at 90. But all in all, um, it's definitely good, good report, I would say, from him. Um, the arm looks good. I think that sometimes he lollygags it a bit. Um, you know, doesn't really put a full, full, full throw when he's throwing a like first, a second, whatever. Um, he moves better than I thought he would. Not that any, not that the the reports had him as being like you know stone footed or anything like that, but he moves pretty good. I think that he'll be able to stick it at third base. Um, made a, I think I made an error or two, but you know it happens, whatever. And I think that Ken, you brought it up. His swing is very like Jay Brucean, and if he does have a career like Jay Bruce, that's that's yeah, definitely a success. Pretty good, you know. Jay, yeah. Jay Bruce at third base is borderline all-star most years yeah. probably i mean yeah he was an all-star right yeah a couple of times early in his career i guess third uh, base is pretty deep these days but like yeah i mean that's great beats left field <laughs> right i mean i'm not i don't know how i feel about having somebody like Beatty work specifically on going the other way like that doesn't i wonder if that's kind of a waste of time or potentially damaging to the the swing you ultimately want him to develop, but I'm no es- expert on developing hitters, so. I mean, if nothing else is a strategy, you want to have a guy at least have that in his repertoire. I suppose. Or at least have the ability to do so when when it calls for it. Because, mm. I mean, I, J- Jay Bruce, again, if we're comping him to Jay Bruce, Jay Bruce... At least I'm remembering him as being a very pull-happy hitter, you know, yes. with, with pretty much everything. So he does have opposite field power. So, I mean, if he can tap into that and use it, then great. It just makes him a tougher out. Uh, who else on this roster? There's someone else, and the name is escaping me now. Oh, yeah, it's someone much less well-renowned than everyone else. I'm kind of interested in Scott Oda. What'd you think of him? Oh, okay. Scott Oda. Was not expecting Scott Oda. Yeah. <laughs> for no uh, for no particularly good reason, just from the fact probably just from the fact that I keep seeing him hit dingers when I'm doing the farm report, I'm like, oh okay, <laughs> I guess I like Scott Oda now. Yeah, he's he had a bit of pop. Uh his his very like aggressive uh swing like a violent swing, I guess. It's a, a good way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that probably is a bit of bat speed because he's not really that big of a guy. Right. Um, he's not like thin or anything like that. He's like athletic and, and well proportioned, but not like, doesn't seem like a major, uh, strength, body strength dude, whatever you want to call it. And then he played a decent, uh, offense. He had a good arm. Uh, he was in right field and left, so or yes, left, excuse me. And he, you know, uh uninspired but fine defense. Good arm. It sounds like there's not a whole lot to be super yeah. excited about there. I mean a lot of these guys are either like really top they're like, you know, top in the system guys or 
guys that kind of came over from the DSL or the GCL and they're just kind of like, eh, probably not that great. Or recent draftees that are older, older seniors. Who should probably be in Brooklyn. Right. So, I mean, there's, there's no doubt that the competition that, that Oda faced in college is probably, uh, heads and shoulders above the stuff that he was seeing in against the Denville Braves and the Pulaski Yankees. I wonder why they have him down there then. Is it just because they need a body there? Or? Yeah, I think the problem the, with the problem with the strategy of drafting so many college seniors is then you run into the difficulty of, okay, now that we have all these guys, where are we putting them? Right, right. Because, I mean, Brooklyn is usually the place, you know, is, is the New York Penn League is kind of designed for that, you know, short season starting after college season ends. And then I guess you could have challenged some of the more well-regarded guys. Maybe you could have sent like a Jake Mangum or a Duplantis or whoever to Columbia and just kind of seen what happened, but they didn't. And the fact that neither one of those guys are really excelling that much there either, I guess, shows why they didn't. So good analytics, whatever, scouting on their part. But just so many guys that would be appropriate for Brooklyn just came into the system, so you gotta send them elsewhere. Yeah, yep. I guess that's just the reality of it. You know, his, his, like, all, the seniors, most of the senior guys, like, I could kind of talk myself into being mildly interested in. For some reason, Odo was someone I was more interested in than most of them, so I'll, I'm interested, I'd like to see him what he does if he gets tested a little bit more yet next year. Yeah, a lot of the guys that they signed, I got, like, vibes of guys that are going to be overachievers in the system. Like, they're probably not ever going to have major league careers, but right. they're the guys that, like, I could – I don't know what it was about most of them, but, yeah, like, I could see them plugging away for another four or five years, making it to double A, maybe even triple A, whatever – it right. was a good good crop of seniors. You know, when you're taking them in rounds four, round four and five. <laughs> yeah, you get your uh, get your pick. But that would also um, show that the Mets, you know, did good scouting on these guys. So kudos to them, I guess. Is there anyone else you you guys are? Because I'm out of names I cared about on this oh. roster. I think. Jalen Palmer, I guess? Yes, Jalen Palmer, my man. He was, I, I talked to him for like two seconds and he was very happy. My brother is from Queens, so he was very happy to, uh, find another person from Queens deep down in Eastern Tennessee. Mm. And randomly we went to, side note, we went to like some, like Arby's knockoff that was down there or a friendly knockoff. <laughs> Whatever it was, but. The, we were, I, I had a shirt on, it was, I got it at Cape May, and like the, the assistant manager, whoever it was that was on duty, came over. He's like, oh, you guys from New Jersey? I was like, you know, I'm New York, obviously, but, you know, I like Cape May, it's a cool place. He's like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm from Monmouth County. I was just like, oh, okay, like, go figure. These are the people that you meet in Tennessee. Huh. Did you say what town in Monmouth County? Uh, no. And not really knowing much about Monmouth County, I couldn't even have, Asked. That's the uh, that's your birthplace, right, Lucas? Uh, not birthplace. I was born in the city, but I oh, gotcha. From like age, I don't know, nine to twenty-eight, 
until the end of high school I was in Monmouth County, so go figure indeed. Well, Palmer, he uh, is very tall, very skinny, uh, definitely has a lot of room to fill in. Um, the swing is pretty long, which is a little worrisome, but if he's able to, you know, get stronger, hopefully maybe work on some of the wrist strength, get that swing under control. Right now, he's has trouble, uh, that's putting it nicely, recognizing spin. So consistently, 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 he's su- swinging super early on breaking balls and just going down like one, two, three, breaking ball, breaking ball, breaking ball. Right. Not looking good. Um, obviously, though, he's, you know, 18, 19, whatever it is right now. It's part of the course for someone that young. He has plenty of time to work on that. Um, this year is probably the first time that he's ever really been exposed to that level of secondary stuff. So, like, real breaking balls. Right, because, I mean, you know, being a guy, you know, being from Queens, Northeast, you know, the, the quality of Northeast baseball is, you know, not as high as places where it's sunny all the time. So, it's it's fine that he's struggling. I mean, it's not like he's 26. So, True. no reason to be concerned. Um, defensively, he... Played shortstop and third base when when I saw him. He looked a lot better at short than I thought he would. Um, I mean, the, the reports were always that he would probably have to be moved from shortstop over to third. And he was playing third for a bit. Um, and then Baby came on board and he got shunted back over to short. And he looked actually pretty good there. He was a little hesitant, kind of ranging over to into the hole at short, but... His arm is good. He's more agile than he looks for being a, such a tall. I think he's like six four or whatever, like tall, skinny kid. He, he's more, you know, has has more agility and more like quick twitch muscle than I gave him credit for. I don't think that he's gonna be able to stay at shortstop. I think third base is probably the best place for him, but you know, he can spell it and or or play, you know. Get low average to average defense there, and I guess as long as him and Beatty are on the same teams, Beatty's going to be given preference at third. But Palmer looks like a guy. He's definitely a guy. Um, it, it's very reminiscent, I think, of Alfonso Soriano. And if he could become an Alfonso Soriano type hitter, that would be great outcome. That's a <laughs> high bar there. <laughs> That's high praise. Yeah, yeah. If he could become one of uh, only four four guys to ever go forty forty, you know, that'd be a pretty good draft result. <laughs> Not bad for a nineteenth round pick or whatever he was. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also mentioned that uh, Gregory Guerrero looked better than you thought. He, he did. Want to expand did. on that? <laughs> Uh, let's take a quick break here, and then we'll can go into a couple more players. So just hold on one second, everyone. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. 
That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. We are back on Complex the Queens, and we are analyzing the Kingsport Mets. And Ken brought up Gregory Guerrero, and he's on the small side. Um, he's not, like, skinny, but he looks like he could still grow into a little uh, bit of, you know, muscle and power and pounds. But despite the fact that he doesn't have that outward, like, strength, he is really strong. <laughs> he probably hit – I saw – who did I see home runs for? Uh, Baby hit a home run. Palmer hit a home run. Cole Kless hit a home run. And Guerrero hit a home run. I think Tanner Murphy. And Guerrero's home run was by far the most uh, majestic of the bunch. You know, it was it was one. It was kind of like a line driver that was still rising when it was deep in the outfield. So it was a shot, and he has a lot of power, deceptive power for being a kind of smaller guy. He's a little bit of a free swinger, but he does have a good eye, and he draws a fair number of walks. I guess because pitchers, you know, the report on him is that he does have that power. So I mean, if he can, I, I don't know if the the problem is just recognizing spin or if he just kind of can't help himself because he's a Guerrero and he just has to hack at everything but mm. you know if he's able to maybe not go after kind of those fringe pitches because I think he does have a good eye and I think he does recognize you know what is a strike what isn't a strike and if he could lay off of some of those things he'd get better pitches and maybe he would hit for a higher average or hit for you know more authority and defensively, he looked good at second. Um, smooth glove, you know, good actions. His arm is not the strongest. You know, it's not like he's being taxed at second, but it's not like he was exactly popping the glove at first when he was throwing it over either. So, you know, he I don't think that he has the ability to play any other position besides for uh, second. I don't think that he has the mobility to go into the outfield and to left either. So he's just kind of a second baseman. But you know, if if he if he's able to improve on on the batting average, the hit tool part of the game, that would do wonders. I mean, he has the power, he has a good eye, and he has you know, if nothing else, the Guerrero name that's going to give him plenty of leeway, leeway and and chances or whatever down the line, most likely. So. He might be a long-term project. I don't know, but I wouldn't bet against him just because of his family and everything. So so what I'm hearing is that we're going to have Vladito, but at second base. Uh, that's one way of interpreting it, sure. All right, great, great. <laughs> I'm just going to go with that and uh, not think about it anymore. <laughs> right, so they, we have Vladito at second. So we have Alfonso Soriano and Jay Bruce. Perfect, perfect. <laughs> Don't forget La Tortuga 2, Electric. Oh, that's right. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this <laughs> team is incredible. <laughs> I look back on this podcast in like five years and be like, man, we, we called it all correctly. Is this a good time to bring up I'm not a professional? <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Who else on Kingsport? Um... Sebastian Espino, he's a kind of, he was a guy, um, to, to know the name. His swing reminded me a bit of Andres Jimenez in that 
he's a kind of smaller, not a beefy guy, and his swings are, you know, law. He he's into the the stomp and lift approach, and so I think it, he kind of needs a better swing, more suited to a, a smaller guy like himself. Um, because his hit tool is, according to the reports when he assigned and everything, a, a one of his better ones, but the way that he's looked and the way that his the numbers he's been putting up that doesn't exactly match the reports. And I think that the fact is just he's trying to do too much and he should just kind of aim for just being an empty hitter and call it a day. And this in in the field he looked smooth. Same thing like Guerrero. His arm was okay. Um, he had good actions at second. I don't think he played any shortstop. It was just second base. But I believe that he does have the ability to play short, but I didn't actually get to see it. So the bar, the needle didn't really change much with him. Um, I think he just remains a guy to know, but, you know, don't expect anything necessarily right now. Um... Andres Renault, our player of the week. Um, as a catcher, he doesn't block the plate very well, but he has a very strong arm. So I don't know if that bodes well for his future, if he has to get move off the position. Um, he kind of has like a weird hitchness swing. Like it almost looks like he's choking up a tiny, tiny little bit. And then when he starts his stride and his swing, he kind of lets the bat, he just kind of lets his hands like slide down to the knob like an inch or two or whatever. Mm. It's weird looking. It's hard to explain. I could post videos later, but, well, he is the player of the week, so I guess I'll post videos for everybody on the site when that article goes up. But he has, he has a, I think his bat is legit. Um he recognizes pitches, you know, he, he doesn't swing at bad stuff. He didn't swing at too much junk. He let the ball come to him. And I don't know what the extent of his upside with the bat is, but he's definitely a more uh, offensive-oriented catcher. But that he was sense. mildly surprising. Uh, I thought, like we was talking about before, I thought that he might be just the kind of guy that beat up on younger players, but he looked good. Um, the two biggest surprises for me are two players. Um, Johan Derseyes, who was an outfielder, he looked really athletic. He's very, very quick. He had a good eye, not too much power, but decent eye and a decent uh, hit tool. I could see him becoming, like we were saying with some of those college seniors that the Mets drafted, I could see him becoming like one of those... after season and I guess the biggest surprise of everybody that I saw because most of the players you know I knew who was going to be good going in the biggest surprise was Nick McDonald who is a reliever who's drafted this year and I think this dude might be like a top 25 prospect which is not something that I would think would have thought going down there um he has like a, a very low three quarters, almost like sidearm arm slot. It's almost like kind of like the lines, like that low and weird. 
and he's able to throw. He can he can max out at 93. He was consistently si- sitting 91, 92, and because of the way that he throws, you know, just kind of slinging it from the side, it had a lot of movement on it. And then he had like a pretty decent curveball and a pretty decent changeup. Um, and uh, you know he surprised me. Um, I did not. I was not expecting him to be as good as he was. I think he pitched in he pitched in three games that I saw, and I came away very surprised. I think he closed out two of them. Hmm. So he's I mean, definitely he... a guy that I would expect to be assigned to. I, I could see him being pushed up to St. Lucie next year. Because no. I think he's just a case of a guy that was sent to Kingsport because it just wasn't too much room. Now that I've been burned by the lines, I don't know if I'm ready to invest in that profile again. <laughs> well, you weren't exactly burned by the lines. He's just not as dominant this year as he was no, last year. No, no, he's been fine. Yeah. I do wonder if it'll be the same kind of thing, though. Like, he gets to AA slash AAA and it just isn't enough. Right, well, that's why him being able to actually throw, like, 91, 92, 93. Yeah, yeah. There's a big difference from the lines who's more in the high 80s or so. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, 93 is, you know, 91, 92 is a little on the low side, I guess, when we think about it, but it kind of is, like, average velocity when you measure everything out for right-handers. And it has good movement, again, because it just he's kind of, like, whipping the ball cross fire right but yeah it's it's he's a guy that just kind of was not on the radar and just all of a sudden like okay here he is impressing that's a blind squirrel nut etc yeah 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 yep well, that is do you guys have any other uh Guys, you want to talk about because that pretty much I think sums up all of the main guys on the team, and then a couple of odds and end guys. No, I think that's it for me. Yeah, I think I'm I'm good. <laughs> all right, well, that uh, brings us to oh yeah, that guy, where we'll take a look back and remember some of the Mets of Mets minor leaguers of yesteryear that we probably have forgotten about. So does anyone want to uh, go first? Shall I? Uh, sure. Okay. Um, so for, oh, yeah, that guy this week, I chose uh, Kobe Woodmansey, a shortstop the Mets uh, drafted in 2016 out of Arizona State University, who hit between August 20th and August 24th, 2016, for the Brooklyn Cyclones, 267, 389 400 that's a 142 wrc plus with a 16.7 percent walk rate against a 22.2 percent k rate and 18 plate appearances for, again for for brooklyn so woodman z was born in phoenix arizona uh in 1994 he played high school baseball for uh desert vista high school also in phoenix arizona before you know heading to the aforementioned arizona state university in tempe and uh he played three years at shortstop for the Arizona State Sun Devils. Uh he didn't really play a lot in his freshman year. Hit it hit just two hundred, two fifty five, three eighteen in ninety nine plate appearances, but 
was given the starting spot in his sophomore year and uh hit a lot better. He hit 308, 355, 454 with five dingers, uh 20 walks against 39 Ks and 265 plate appearances and uh followed that up with with a pretty good um I guess season out on the the Cape playing for the Orleans Firebirds of the Cape Cod League. He hit 348, 375, 391 in 24 plate appearances. He came back for his junior year and again hit pretty well. Uh hit 265, 355, 438. Uh eight dingers, 30 walks against 39 Ks and 262 plate appearances and uh was listed the 117th best prospect in the 2016 draft by MLB Pipeline. Uh the profile was a potential infielder somewhere on the dirt with, you know, not a, a impossible chance at sticking it short and uh with some pop. He was kind of like the prototypical proven college performer that the uh, Alderson regime liked to take from rounds like 3 to 10. So he was drafted in the fifth round of the 2016 draft, uh, 160th overall by the Mets. Um, and they assigned him to Brooklyn immediately. And, uh, he struggled more than you'd like for a player with his level experience and, uh, age relative to the competition. He was basically at the league average age for the Penn League that year and hit 257, 305, 325 in 276 PAs. Um, he walked just 6.9% of the time and struck out 27.2% of the time and hit just 13 extra base hits. Um, mm. The next season, they sent him to start. I think he started in the GCL, but just for a few days. And then he spent most of the season between uh, Columbia and St. Lucie and struggled at both stops. In the South Atlantic League, he hit 132, 197, 165. That is a 9 WRC+. Plus. In 133 plate appearances, he drew just 9 walks, struck out 42 times. That's uh, over 30% of his plate appearances. Managed just 16 hits, <laughs> only 4 doubles. That was all of his extra base hits on the year, uh, In again, in 133 plate appearances. Uh, he was relatively old for the level two, so really things did not go well for him. Um, he was promoted to St. Lucie in the middle of August, and things went a little better, but still not great. He hit 213, 275, 340. That's a, an 80 WRC plus in 51 plate appearances. He drew just four walks, struck out 13 times, managed just 10 hits, three doubles, and uh, one dinger. On the season between um, the three levels, the GCL through the, through high A, he hit 151, 214, 207. It's a 421 OPS. He walked 14 times, struck out 58 times in 196 plate appearances, uh, just eight extra base hits, and uh, he was released after the season, uh, before the 2018 season started, and hasn't played pro ball since. So, and according to LinkedIn, he works for TrackMan now as a data analyst. So that that's kind of cool. Hmm. So, yeah. Could have used that information when he was a player. Yep. You're not kidding. And, and for reasons that I guess I won't divulge, and I guess if people want to investigate, they could. But 
I'll, I'll be mean to him. And, you know, he could have used that as a player because he was not good at all. And he left. <laughs> no. Yeah, typically when you draft somebody in the fifth round, you'd, you'd like to get more than one professional season out of them. But, you oh, know, well. such, such yeah. is life. <laughs> yeah, such, such is this. Is. Such exactly. is the MLB draft crapshoot that it is. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's just take another quick break here. We're going a little over, but oh well. A lot of, there's a lot of information to, uh, talk about about King Sports. So let's just take one more break and we will be back to talk about our other two players right after this. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back, everybody, to Complex of Queens. And we are in the middle of reminiscing about plays of yesteryear in Oh Yeah, That Guy. So, Lucas, would you like to go or should I? Yeah, I'll, I'll go and I'll try to go a little quick. So my guy was Brant Rustich. Rustich? Rustic? I have no Rustich. idea. Rustich. We'll go with Rustich. So uh, he was a pick in the 2007 draft for the Mets. He had actually been previously drafted by the Twins out of high school. Um, then he went to UCLA instead, was drafted in 2006 by the Indians in the 13th round, didn't sign, and the Mets took him in the second round of the 2007 draft. Um, and so he never had a, a whole ton of success with the Mets. Uh, there he, he got a little bit of prospect hype heading into the 2008 season, but uh, actually never made it past advanced A. Uh, only posted a, a, a strikeout rate above nine per uh, nine innings once, and that was in his final season in five innings, which also came with a walk rate of 10, um, and was forced to retire in 2012 uh, due to a nerve injury in his arm. Uh, I picked him this week because uh, he had a two-start stretch in August of 2008 where he was flat-out dominant, had two starts, 13 innings, strikeout, uh, K9 of 13, 2.0 ERA and a 1.6 FIP. Uh, this was an A-ball at the time. Um, more interestingly is that I actually was able to find his LinkedIn page after the fact. <laughs> so, like I said, he, uh, was forced to retire in 2012, um, and then he actually moved into financial planning, and in his LinkedIn he talks about how, uh, he had started this pet supply business while he was still a baseball player, wound up selling it because he wasn't sure if he wanted to or how to expand it out of his home state of California, uh, and then someone told him he'd make a great financial planner, um, which is what he uh, is doing these days. Apparently, he's worked for Merrill Lynch and Morgan Stanley, so he's been uh, pretty successful in that field. Um, I should uh, just read the last uh, sentence of his – the last sentence of the last par- – first sentence of the last paragraph of his LinkedIn, that being, I'm an ordained minister – Proud Rotarian, husband to the most beautiful wife, who works as a giraffe keeper at the San Diego Zoo. Hell yeah. Which leads me to two questions and one statement. The statement, well, that's a baller job for sure. The question, the grammar in this sentence begs the question, is his wife the most beautiful wife who also works as a giraffe keeper? Or is she just the most beautiful giraffe keeper worker at the San Diego Zoo? 
it's a big difference in a, a compliment a level of compliment there, and I think we need clarification. Well, I don't know how LinkedIn works, but like, <laughs> I'll send him, a you, send, send him a message. Yeah, I'm sure he knows we've all looked at his profile now. Uh, so yeah, oh, really? Yeah, I didn't do it in incognito mode. Shoot, I don't actually have a LinkedIn account though, so he oh, doesn't really? know. People can see if you're looking at them on LinkedIn. If yeah, if you're logged in. Oh, it's like half the half the purpose of it. <laughs> yeah, it's like oh my, this employer is looking at me or, or some. I don't know. I've never had to deal with LinkedIn because I'm still in school, thankfully. Well, a lot of a lot of obscure minor leaguers are seeing my name. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, good for him. Like he uh, kind of got dealt a shitty card with an injury that forced him out of baseball, and uh, seems to have found success in life anyway. Yeah, him. Like we discussed a couple of weeks ago about like the. Uh, early retirements because of injuries. He was a guy that could have had a, a, a solid baseball career in front of him, and it's it was a it was a blow to the Mets and obviously to him too that he had to uh, retire because of medical reasons. Yep. And let's not forget that he has either the most beautiful wife in the world or the most a wife who is the most beautiful giraffe keeper. That's so. true. He might not have met her if that hadn't happened. So. <laughs> either or. Either or. What a baller job, indeed. <laughs> My guy this week is not as exciting, though. I don't know what his wife is, so maybe he does have an exciting wife, too. But um, it's Lednir Ricardo, who from August 18th to August 25th, 2016, with St. Lucie, hit 333, 412, 733, with three doubles and a homer. So about Ricardo, he was born in Cupitas, Cuba, and he made his professional debut as a baseball player at the age of 19 when he played for the Ganaderos de Camagüey in the 46th serial, uh, Serie Nacional de Baseball, and that was 2007 to 2008. And he was mostly used as a backup for uh, starting catcher Yanir Bello, but Bello got sent to play for the Gallos de Spiritu Sancto, so Ricardo got the starting catcher gig. Um, he spent the next four years as the starting catcher for Camagüey, and he posted solid but unspectacular numbers. Um, as a whole, he hit 264, 325, 374, and averaged about five homers a season. For anyone that knows much about Cuban baseball, it is very, very, very offense-oriented, so... That batting line is, you know, meh, not particularly great. Um, he started the 51st Serie Nacional, which was 2012 to 2013 with Camagüey, but then he got transferred to San Fuegos to accommodate the World Baseball Classic. Basically, the whole Cuban season got screwed up because of the WBC, and um, they had players switch what teams that they were playing on because they had an abbreviated season. But in his 24 games with Camagoy, he hit 236, 305, 321 with three homers. And then his 24 games with the Elefantes de Sanfuegos, he hit a career best 277, 367, 511 with five homers. Uh, that offseason, he defected to the Dominican Republic. And in 2014, he was cleared to sign with major league teams. So he had a workout, tended by dozens of scouts. Not clear if the Mets were one of them. Uh, no sources 
about the workout mentioned the Mets specifically, but obviously word got around to the team about how he did because he ended up signing with them in May 2015. And because of the his age and the amount of experience that he had in Cuba, the Mets didn't have to spend any of their international um, bonus pool money, and they were able to just sign him on a simple minor league contract instead. And it's a good thing that they didn't waste too much international uh they didn't have to waste any international bonus pool money because well as we'll we'll see he was not particularly good he got his toes wet in the gcl that year and then they sent him up to st lucy for the remainder of 2015 and he appeared in 26 games he backed up colton playa and jeff glenn and he hit 188 195 224 and he repeated st lucy in 2016 this time he was backing up tomas nito and he hit 205, 267, 305. And then shortly after the season ended, the Mets released him. And he was never really a good player, um, except for, you know, this, this one stretch this week. And more or less, he was just kind of an organizational filler guy. But, you know, he hasn't been in uh, organized baseball since being released. And he's currently doing uh, real estate in South Florida. So if anyone is looking to buy or sell in Miami... Lednier Ricardo is your man. And there we go. So, do we have any words, uh, any last words for this week? Obligatory call up Dilson Herrera comment. Yeah, that's, uh, it's odd. Yes. It's Promote the lead. Mm hmm. Alright, well, if anyone has any questions, comments, whatever, send us an email at our email address from complex to queens at gmail.com. You can follow us individually on Twitter. I am at Steve Seifer. Lucas is at Elvlahos343. And Ken is at, at Ken1191. Subscribe to your podcast if you uh, are listening to this and haven't already. Rate and review it. Leave us some good comments. And thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week. And uh, until then, love the Mets. Love the Mets. Love the Mets.